Nazmo, we are back, and we've actually named the podcast a week after recording the first one. And so Outsource to Profits is here. You know, we talked about and we joked maybe it's West meets East and uh-huh. East meets West. But uh, we're back here talking about outsourcing, offshoring best practices. You're going to load us up with some questions, and uh, we are going to deep dive into some of these questions today. Absolutely. I am excited and let's do it. Uh, first question that I have for you and and you can go as detailed as possible or as deep as possible. So even though it might sound like a basic question, but people usually ask how outsourcing works. Yeah. And so I think that this is one of those things to demystify how difficult it might seem from the outside. So I'm always speaking from the perspective as a North American CEO looking at talent overseas. And overseas could be to Latin America, that could be to Africa, that could be to Asia, like where you live. And so I think one of the parts that has to be uh, uh, demystified is that it is exactly the same talent acquisition or recruiting process as you have onshore. There is no difference. And I think that that's where we all get so confused. Like, number one, you analyze, I have a talent gap. And that talent gap might be because somebody left your organization. It might be because you need to expand. You need to create capacity. You say to yourself, I need more human capital. Great. Next, what do I need them to do? I, it could be, again, part-time, full-time, contract, draw against commission. There is endless ways to structure an employment agreement. And so us as North Americans, sometimes we default to full-time. That is not necessarily the case with outsourcing. But now you need to have a strategy to attract talent. Talent doesn't just flock to you because you're North American. You have to have a compelling reason why people want to work with you. You've got fun projects, great customers, perks, benefits, and sweeteners. You've created a safe environment that's secure. You have to have an acquisition strategy. Then you need to acquire and you have to have a filtering process. No different, the only, no different than you would use in North America, although you may test for certain things such as language competency. And then you have an onboarding process. And that onboarding process, you were going to onboard uh, new hires onshore anyways, you have to do it offshore. So I think where people get all flustered is they think it is somehow different. It is a process that you've designed onshore that has nuances that are specific to offshore or, you know, you can call it offshoring or outsourcing. These are just nuanced details within a structured process. How about you? From yeah, what your perspective, yeah. what do you see? Yeah. So to summarize exactly what you just said, it's kind of doing exactly what you would have done in-house, but you just let you just do it outside the company. And because that's what outsourcing means, right? Not doing it inside the company, outsourcing. But over the time, what has happened is like, we have related out the word outsourcing with giving the word giving the work to another company or another person who doesn't live in the same country. So, offshoring is basically exactly the same thing, just not doing in house. That's 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 what I would say. Even this very much related with what you just mentioned. I think you mentioned kind of 
the exact steps, like step number one, this, and then do this and do that. So let me come back to an idea. You said something that was important that I didn't touch on. Yeah. If you think about outsourcing, the optionality expands as myself as a founder and CEO. To your point, you just said something working in a company versus out. A lot of times here in North America, we typically think, okay, I need help. I hire a person. They come in-house employed in my business. That comes with tax and benefit regulations. You know, you need to file specific taxes. You need to have uh, unemployment insurance and so forth. But in fact, when you just talked about outsourcing, let's look at the optionality. I can have somebody come in full-time, part-time, fractional. They could be paid for performance. Yeah. They could be draw against commission. Yeah. They themselves could be their own business, meaning they are a full contractor. Mm -hmm. They are a part of an agency that supports me. Like, you know, look at your marketing agency that you own. If you really think about it, to day to day, when you and I work together at Pipeline Signals, uh, get leverage, you're one in the team. Mm -hmm. You are an extension and as part of the team. Yet, just the operating agreement is different. You own an agency. That agency employs teammates mm -hmm. to execute projects and initiatives. There is defined milestones and goals that we need to achieve. So they don't have to be full-time employees. You are now taking, basically you've overtaken a headache or a problem or uh, an initiative. And I just said, my goal is to go from A to B. I give it to your marketing agency yeah. and your marketing agency runs with it. That's another form of outsourcing. Outsourcing, if you really think about it from the framework of a founder, mm -hmm. it's taking competencies, skills, initiatives, projects that you may not even have the ability to do in-house, and you say to yourself, I'm just going to find somebody to do it. It just happens that that team or person lives overseas. That's all. Yeah. Lovely. So okay. sorry. I wanted to... Yeah, yeah no, this is good. This is good. This, this is exactly what we want, right? The questions people usually ask... We want to go as deep as possible so that we actually answer the question that they, they have in mind. They don't have to watch another video to get the answer. So the next question people ask right after what we just talked about is, how can outsourcing help my business again? Tell me. Outsourcing, if you at the, at the root fundamental first principle, the core reason you would outsource, you would have one or two inflection points. Inflection point one is probably much larger than inflection point two. Inflection point one is you are either unprofitable, you are not making the type of profit margins, whether that's in customer acquisition or in gross margins. So just margins. You're not making the type of margins that are expected of your industry. Uh, or three, you really do feel in your heart of hearts, there's got to be a more cost-effective way to execute against this because you're getting competitive threats from a pricing standpoint, or they're introducing products and you say to yourself, I don't have a clue how they could offer X, Y, and Z for this price because we couldn't compete like this. So that's probably cohort one. Cohort two is you've scoured your local market. I live in Toronto, Canada, so that's not a great uh, example. Like Toronto, 7 million people, there's talent everywhere. But let's say you live in middle America, 
You live in the East Coast of Canada. There is a lack of talent in certain roles because there's just not enough people that have yeah. done X. And you say to yourself, well, I need to find talent that can do this. And in certain functions within a business, let's use uh, IT, let's use technology, DevOps, product development, engineering, you know, the the cohort of talent that sits in India is 100x that of Eastern Canada. So you just say to yourself, like, I need to, I need somebody who has Ruby on Rails expertise. I'm going to go to the Ruby on Rails center of the world and grab talent. So part A is defining the why you need to do this. Most of the time, most of the founders we work with, it is a financial decision. But then it comes to part two of that. Part two of that is the optionality that it gives you in your business once you're able to create greater operating leverage. As an example, I can create more profit center for my business so that I can, number one, I can deploy capital in ways that I couldn't before, such as you may have debts to pay. You may have old business partners you want to buy out or investors you want to buy out. You might want to launch a new company or buy back equity, as an example. So you're able to, you're now acquiring money at a faster rate than you were before. Now you want to deploy it. It might be that you want to do things within your business. You want to be able to scale customer acquisition. Now you could reduce the cost of customer acquisition. Maybe reinvest that money into paid media. You, as an example, want to be able to service customers in a less expensive way, creating greater gross margins. Now, all of a sudden, you can um, you know, create greater service offerings, 24 by 7, 365 support. You might want to reduce your prices because you want to drown out your competitors. So I think the, the reason that I did it is a financial decision. Um, and most of the founders that I meet is that financial decision is either once the money is acquired to either serve the company or to serve you and your family, right? Like uh, mm -hmm. just speaking mm -hmm. personally, yeah. um, as I started to offshore and I've written newsletters about this. If you look at the year 2018, we lost almost a half a million dollars wow. in profit in that year. The next year we made 400,000. The year after that we made a four or 500,000. So a complete swing of almost a million dollars. At that same time, I doubled my service fee. So I paid myself twice as much. <laughs> now all of a sudden I was able to deploy capital to my family mm -hmm. in ways I couldn't before. That was important as my children at that time, my son was five, mm -hmm. four or five, my daughter three, and so my children only remember, you know, their first memories are daddy being able to provide mm. rather than daddy not being able to provide. Yeah. And so that's what offshoring offers. It, it is finding equal or greater talent at a cost effective way so that you can redeploy capital in ways mm -hmm. that serve you or your business with more optionality. I'd love to know, see, because... I mean, look at look at pipeline signals. Yeah, 
we, we leverage your agency, get, get leverage. We leverage your agency and mm -hmm. you have customers all around the world. You're the benefactor mm -hmm. of North Americans offshoring. What, you know, I'd love to actually ask the question in reverse because people have asked me this. What about the people in Bangladesh, yeah. in India, yeah. in Philippines? What did they think about this, knowing what us North Americans are doing with the money? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it definitely gives us the opportunity that a lot of us need and not just want. There, there are a lot of hearts. So <laughs> I'm just speaking from my personal experience. Uh, the country that I live in, so uh, a lot of people want to call it like, okay, this is a second world country, but I still say, okay, we're still third world country. We're, we're just, but we're trying really hard to get better and better. And when I say we're really try, trying hard to get better and better, I'm talking about individual people, people who are farmers or people who are a little educated and they just, they want to make good money for their family. Um, so I, you know, uh, people call the freelancers. So people uh, feel very fortunate that now we have this kind of opportunity where we get to work with people from North America. And it's not just because we get to work with people from the first world, it's also because it exposes us uh, with that world and it shows us the kind of opportunity anybody can have. It, it gives us um, different views. It shows us different kind of process that we never thought of, that we never um, faced, right? Uh, so it's, it, there are a lot of things that we're grateful for. One, definitely uh, how we're getting paid. And, and even, even the, by the way, even the country's government is encouraging uh, for, people to, uh, for people to become freelancers or, or earn from outside, outside to the point where we have 0% tax when we are earning from outside. And not just zero percent tax. Say that again. Zero yeah, we have zero percent tax. And not just zero percent tax, we get incentive if we make money outside the country. So if we bring in what? Yeah, it is awesome. <laughs> so government is literally paying us because we are bringing in US dollars. But by the way, this is the reality of the entire world. The US dollar has become the world's currency, right? And because of the war and everything else that is going on, uh, there is a shortage of uh, US dollars in, in any of the countries, right? And that's what you need when you want a running, a good, uh, very well, you know, oiled economy. You need US dollars, you need good reserves. Guess who brings those dollars? Us, we do. We who work with people from Canada or US, right? Uh, so yeah, we, we are blessed in every single way, not just financially, but we also get to explore and see what else is out there. One, one thing that I want to add to what you mentioned on how outsource can help businesses, I think you have mentioned it in a way, but I want to emphasize it because a lot of people don't even think that way. So in a business, what is one of those important things? I'd say fast execution. Right, it can, you can literally go far by executing fast. You know how we were on a previous call and we were talking about how fast we launched our first podcast and we were very proud and we were happy yeah. about it. How awesome is Didn't that? In a day. Yeah, yeah. You can literally move twice faster if you outsource, and you know exactly how. 
in your in your by the by the day end your day your day ends you give tasks to the team that you have outsourced right and they do the work while you are sleeping by the way and you wake up you and you get it delivered so you really do not have to worry or wait for the entire day come on that how awesome is that right you give something to somebody and you wake up and you get it delivered i can attest to i've fallen in love with that so i'm a super early riser and so your agency and my day overlap in my mornings which is yeah. when i'm most optimal but each evening um i'll send some emails out things to do things to projects to work on initiatives or i'll put in a on an agenda for the next morning yeah and it's i really do love waking up and it's like a okay, pre-approve this check out this landing page do everything is done when i wake up and it's also when i wake up i'm in the freshest mind yeah. to review it so you're you're right um my capacity and the, you know a lot of a lot of people who get into offshoring don't realize that mm -hmm. you can create there are three shifts there's day mm -hmm. shifts mid shifts mm -hmm. and night shifts yeah. technically you can have three sets of teams yeah. running three different time zone kind of cohorts meaning you have projects running 24 hours a day if you if you wanted to create that type of yeah. environment yeah how else you're not getting in there yeah absolutely no I mean, that's just <laughs> yeah yeah that's gonna be too much okay we're gonna wrap up with one last question and it's very interesting i don't know why people ask that but still they ask that let's answer they ask is outsourcing bad if yes why if no why Great question. And so I think the only time from here in North America, there are two comments that I hear. One is from the side of North America, mm -hmm. which is a side of nationalism. Mm. And, and I'm going to answer that. And then the other is going to be on the, what are you doing? How do these teammates live? How could they, if you're paying X, do you feel like you're exploiting the world? On the North American side, the only pushback that you will get from, and I'll call stakeholders, stakeholders could be internal teammates, customers, prospects, mm -hmm. investors. It's um, a, a, one of the greatest sayings I ever heard uh, from uh, an advisor at my company, Pipeline Signals, named Sujin Patel. Mm -hmm. And I was telling Sujin this, this winter, we were on a ski trip and I said, hey, you know, I want to have all these businesses in the future. And, you know, some people have a, uh, have a bit of a slight to this idea of owning multiple companies. And he goes, you know what? Don't listen to other people. That's drive-by advice. They don't know what they're talking about. They're just driving by and yelling something. <laughs> the same sort of thing can happen when you mention the word offshoring or outsourcing. Mm. They'll be like, what about the Canadians or what about the Americans? <laughs> Drive-by nationalism. Let's back up and let's first, okay, when you incorporate a business, they teach you business 101, that a business is a living, breathing entity. The concept of my company, Get Leverage, and Pipeline Signals and Sales for Life, that they are a breathing entity that has its own heartbeat. And if it could, he or she or it would make its own decisions. And the decisions that it needs to make is I need enough money to go in and retain 
for me to grow and blossom like a flower. Okay, that is the decision, the first principle that your corporation would say to you if it could speak to you. It doesn't care who works there. Mm. It doesn't care how things get done. It just needs to grow. So since it's agnostic to all of this, you have to ask yourself, how do you best serve that corporation? And that corporation isn't a charity. And many times we will employ teammates because they came with the business. They've been there a long time. They are friends of a friend, but they are not best serving the corporation. Mm. And if you look at it really objectively, if you needed to get this water bottle, I'm holding a water bottle, a Yeti water bottle. (laughs) If you need to get that built, what is the best and most cost-effective way? Yeah to achieve building that aluminum. And I'm in the knowledge economy, so all my businesses are digital, and there is more knowledge overseas. Remember, only less than 5% of the world's workforce lives in North America. Mm. So 95% of the world and the knowledge sits on the rest of the planet. Mm. There are more people outside of my country than in it. There are people that have done it more than I have They have scaled bigger than I have, and they can do it at a price I can actually afford, and the corporation, the flower, can actually grow. So from so that's when it comes to the nationalism piece, Mm. I believe that people get this sense of self-righteousness, and they'll Mm. say, you need to employ Canadians. And I was like this. My company, until the year 2017, only employed Canadians. I didn't have mm. an, an American on my team. Every one of my 20 employees were Canadian. Wow. But that didn't best serve the corporation. That didn't serve the profits to me and my family. So the nationalism thing, people can drive by and tell you those things, but they're not thinking in the best interest of you, your family, and the corporation. Now on the other side of the fence is, yeah. and this is, I'm barely going to answer this because you're on the call, Nazmul, is <laughs> I've heard this, I can't believe you're paying, you know, a person $500 a month or $1,000 a month or $2,000. It depends on their role and responsibility because they're equating to the cost at home. Yeah, sure. An average mortgage here in Toronto is $3,000 a month or $4,000 a month. Yeah. But that's not the cost of living in every other place, you've just, we've just chosen to live in a very ridiculously expensive <laughs> place. Canada. But overseas, they are fairly compensated. And in fact, you know, I, man, I'm telling you, some of my teammates offshore are living a more luxurious life than I am because they do not have the expenses I do. So Nazmul, you do explain when somebody from North America is paying one of yeah your marketing teams, $1,000 a month. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? And is it bad? Forget bad. Is it good? No, it is great. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. It's because, again, I'll come back to the opportunity part. We don't have a lot of opportunities in the country. Uh, And by the way, uh, I don't want people to just cut this piece and upload it and, and keep saying bad things about me. When I say we don't have enough opportunity, what I mean is right now, so think about a pond, right? Now think about Bangladesh as a pond. When you're, when you're inside the pond, you 
can just go around that pond and that's about it. Whatever fish you have inside that pond, you can just eat them. That's it. You don't have any other option. But when you're in, in a sea, that's when you get to pick and choose what kind of fish you want to eat, right? It's absolutely up to you. And that's exactly what kind of opportunity we get when we are working with any, any countries, whoever wants to uh, give us what we think we deserve. And we want to do that. Think about, I don't care where you are from. If you get what you really think you deserve, I really think you are going to go beyond whatever you are supposed to do and, and deliver. So for us, it's an amazing thing on how much we get paid um, as well as how do we get paid, the kind of respect that we get. But anyway, again, we don't we don't talk about it often, but I think we get a lot of respect from people in U.S. because or, or Canada, of you know, for that matter, because they think like, oh, my God, this person is saving me four thousand dollars per month and he is good. I have to keep him. I don't care how I have to keep him. I am giving him a thousand dollars, which probably I would have paid five thousand dollars if I had to hire somebody from Canada or U.S. So I'm already, you know, I'm already saving four thousand dollars per month. So what happens is we get a lot of respect from outside, rather, you know, maybe if, if I had to compare from some, if, if we were to working with some from somebody, uh, Bangladesh or India, right? Uh, so that's another thing that people don't even talk about, but that's inside us. That's how we feel. Now, you know, focusing on what you mentioned, the cost of living. The cost of living is actually not that high. It also depends on which part of the country you live in, um, you know, or which part of the town you live in. Most people who are in outsourcing, they tend to go back to their village. And right now in Bangladesh, uh, because that's where I live, in Bangladesh, you have access to internet in almost everywhere. And, and, the, and the speed of internet is also very high which enables anybody to work from anywhere. Even I'll give you my, uh, an, you know, another remote team that I work with. On that remote team, we have five people. Out of five people, two lives inside the town that I live in or the capital. Everybody else lives in the, uh, in the villages. So the rent is literally nothing. Literally, if I had to give you a number, you'd laugh, but I'm going to still give it to you. The rent would be anywhere between $50 to $100 a month, right? And it's just because they're living in a village. Okay, let's actually help people do this math. Okay, yeah. so I'm going to, this is really important. Okay, because yesterday I was on a call with a customer. Yeah. And that customer was visiting Vancouver, Canada. Mm -hmm. And he's visiting his friends. And uh, we were getting ready. This is a pipeline signals customer. Yeah. And he says, I cannot believe the cost of real estate in the city. He he is from Austin, Texas. Okay. The average person in Vancouver mm -hmm. spends five zero fifteen percent of their net take home income on their mortgage. Oh my god! Think of how insane that is. That is insane. The average Torontonian, the second most expensive place in Canada, spends give or take twenty five to thirty percent, which is a lot. So to what Nazmul saying is that if there was a thousand dollars to spend here in Canada, the average Torontonian mm. would give $250 of that 1,000 yeah. away just to their mortgage. Yeah. But what Nazmul just said is of that $1,000, what percentage would go to rent or mortgage in Bangladesh? Very low. As I mentioned, if you're inside the city, probably it's like top is 15% or 20 if you want to be in luxury place. 
but but uh, I'm, again, I'm just comparing. And if you're in a village, yeah. it, it can go down to like five percent and ten percent. It, it just so the disposable income. Yeah, the disposable income is there, and yeah, you know, I I constantly. We used to have an office. My company, Sales for Life, had an office in Midtown Toronto, mm -hmm. right? An intersection of two subway systems, the heart of the city. Mm -hmm. And 20 employees and any employee making under sixty to $70,000 a year, not, they didn't own a car. Mm -hmm. They had to only take public transit. They were eating the free food out of the office. <laughs> like... They had their mortgage on their condo was so high. Oh my god! That the only thing they could afford was to go to work, go to the gym, mm. and eat the free food that I brought into the office. <laughs> That's, That's the average life. Oh my god! Living in North America. So yeah. I get it. I get it. No, no, this is good. I'm really happy that we talked about why our system can bad, and then we also got into how our system can be good, right? If it is not bad. No. So let's wrap this up. I think we 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 were trying to answer all these questions that we have and we have a lot more. And if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe and hit the like button to this video so that you can watch more of these kind of videos. We are going to publish more videos like this every single week. We will answer all the questions people ask on the internet, on YouTube regarding outsourcing. And if you want to, um, if you want to stay in touch with us, there will be a link below on the video where you can click and go subscribe to our newsletter. So Jamie, with that, let's wrap this up. Awesome. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. See you on the next episode.